Now, the sermon I preached just previous to this Sunday was uh, the sermon about uh, wives submitting to their husbands, a careful sermon. If you were not here, I, I recommend you go to our website and you can pick that up and listen to that as well. And I said to the men at the end of that service, um, you're next, right? You're next on the list. And so as we look at God's word and we follow him, uh, what he's teaching us, what comes next is the men. Uh, Last week, we learned about the submission of wives in Colossians 3.18. And uh, now we're going to turn the sword of God upon ourselves and and, uh, and trust what he has for us today. So for those who are with us, those who are new, um, our church believes in expository, applicational preaching. And we often approach books of the Bible, and we go from the beginning to the end. We want to soak up every, every verse uh, and, and with that in mind, we have been in the book of Colossians since we planted our church in January, and we're now in Colossians 3. We've been in this for five months. We've been soaking up and marinating in every word of God's revealed truth, and, uh, and God has been teaching us that Jesus Christ is preeminent, that he is superior, that he is first, and he needs to be first in our hearts, and our only hope in walking in this dark world, is setting our sights on him, setting our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. Our answers to this life is not in looking back or, or looking, looking down, it's looking up to our Savior in heaven as he reveals himself to us through his word and as he rules over his church. And so like I said last week, we uh, very carefully shone the light of God's word on our ladies. We pulled apart God's instruction for wives to be lovingly, willingly submitting to their husband's leadership in the home, in their marriages. That message is so countercultural to society today. We learn that submission isn't something forced. It's not something that we can pretend to do. It's not an outward behavior where your heart is still standing up. Um, it's something that is contrary to our nature, contrary to where our hearts naturally want to go. And uh, ever since the garden, uh, women and men have, have received uh, curses and propensities, and, and the women have been cursed with this struggle to willingly follow their men. But the beautiful thing that we discovered last week is that when you are transformed by the gospel... You will want to willingly and lovingly submit. You are now enabled by the power of the Spirit to willingly and lovingly submit to your husband's leadership. And when you do this, the gospel is proclaimed. God receives the glory in the face of a watching world. So last week's message was, the gospel resurrects the role of the wife. And today, let's turn those tables, guys. And we're going to receive this in an equal but different way. Um, we men have our own problems. We have our own problems, our own curse since the fall. We have this reoccurring struggle in our hearts since the garden. It's a major, ongoing issue for all men. All men who have ever existed have experienced this and still experience this. But the beauty, again, is this, that the gospel has the power to resurrect the role of the husband as well. Let's turn to God's word, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. 
chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is open before us, that you speak to your people through your revealed truth. We thank you that your word reveals sin, that it is a grace to us, that you expose to us things that need to be turned from. And Lord, we thank you today that you are here with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that your spirit is alive and active in us today, illuminating your scriptures to us, teaching us who you are, teaching us your character, teaching us about Jesus Christ, and that all of our hope is found only and squarely in him. We thank you for this book of Colossians. We thank you that as we have been sitting here and studying for the past five months, that it has been soaking in and it has been transforming us. Lord, we ask you to continue to do this, continue to change us into the image of your Son, Help us to cast our eyes upon him, our minds upon the things that are in heaven. Would you do your work today? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when we started this little kind of mini-series here about the family, uh, we started asking some questions about you know, family television shows that are out there, family television shows that have been a part of your life, and we had some pretty good uh, responses of some of your favorite television shows. Well, in those television shows, of those families, do you remember some of the TV husbands, the TV fathers? Do you guys remember some of those? I got a picture of a few of them here. Now, I don't really have a lot of current ones. I'm kind of a, uh, in a different generation. But here's a picture of some of these fathers, some of these husbands. The focus today is husbands. So husbands this morning, which one of these characters would you say is most like you? Nobody's really screaming this out loud. Um, are you more of an Archie Bunker? Anybody remember Archie Bunker? He was a pleasant guy, wasn't he? Um, or were you more like the, the Ray Barone up at the top there, the whiny, the whiny husband? Um, or, or some of these other guys as well. Um, just looking at those, at those men, which one uh, would you be most like? How about you, you young guys here this morning, young guys that are growing up? You're going to be husbands one day. Um, what kind, of, what kind of guy there would you want to be like, one of those guys? I really, I'm not holding those guys up as any kind of pillar to be looking towards, uh, just having a little fun with you. But are you more like an Archie Bunker? Are you more like a George Jefferson, a Homer Simpson, a Ray Barone, a, a Philip Banks, a Fred, an Al? Maybe I should ask some of the wives here this morning, what's your husband like? Well, this is all in good fun, but let me ask you this. Um, how about husbands that we witness in Scripture? Are they the models for us to be looking up to? How about Adam? How about Abraham? How about Jacob? How about Moses? How about David and Solomon and Zechariah and Joseph? Should we be looking up to them as the models of excellence for husbands? How about Jesus? How about Jesus? Should he be the model, the preeminent model of what it means to be a husband, one for us to look up to. So as, as the book of Colossians has been reminding us and teaching us to be casting our eyes on heaven, our minds in heaven, to set our sights of Jesus as preeminent, is Jesus the kind of husband we ought to strive to be? 
Now, some of you are wondering, was Jesus a husband? Was Jesus married? No, he was not married. But Jesus is the preeminent husband. He is the husband of the church. He is the bridegroom. And the first point of the sermon this morning is going to be this, is the gospel restores husbandly love. The gospel restores husbandly love. And so Paul writes to the Colossian church and to us, and he commands us with all authority, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. And so, who is this message for this morning? Who is this message for? Husbands. It says husbands. So I guess, I guess that means everybody here besides the husbands can now flip on your phone, right? Run over to Instagram. Maybe pull up a meme or two and flash those off to your friends if you want, right? It's, it, this isn't for you, right? Is that the truth? No, this message is for everyone here this morning. According to statistics, even though marriage rates are dropping fast, they are in steep decline, over 70% of the world still gets married. And even much more in the church. Well over 90% of people in the church get married. So it really doesn't matter who you are this morning. The numbers are in, and you're either going to be a husband or you're going to be married to one, most likely. So if you're a teenage boy here this morning, you need to listen up because you have much to look forward to. This is going to be you sooner than you think. If you're a teenage girl this morning, you'll want to listen to this as well. Um, you're going to be wearing a white dress next to one of those guys that I just put up there on the screen. <laughs> and wives, you need to listen uh, because this sermon uh, from a couple weeks ago about submission Submission will be that much more easier when your man follows the biblical principles. You'll want to follow him more readily. And so we all need to hear this. We all need to hear God instruct his men on being husbands. And he starts with something so profound. He says, husbands. This is current husbands. This is future husbands. This is past husbands. Love your wives. Love your wives. Not wives is in plural. Love your wife. And so we're asking ourselves, guys, this morning, is this it? Is this all I need to learn here? Love my wife? Love my wife? Of course I love my wife. I married her, didn't I? I kiss her, I hug her, I provide for her, I share a bed with her, I tell her I love her all the time. I pick up my clothes off the floor sometimes. I take out the garbage for her. Of course, I love my wife. Why do I have to be instructed to love my wife? I've got this one covered. Next point. Let's move on to the next point already, right? No, that's not the truth. Have you ever thought um, that this is a bit strange when you look at this verse, that Paul is commanding husbands to love their wives? Why in the world would Paul have to command husbands to love their wives? Shouldn't this just be a natural thing? Well, there must be a reason. Perhaps the context will help us. So as you look into the history, um, 
there were some household rules in society. And those household rules, they were called the paterfamilia. Um, these were societal rules that would include rules for wives to submit to their husbands, like we were talking last week. So what Paul was preaching about last week would have been a societal rule as well. And there would also have been rules for children to obey and also for slaves in the household to obey as well. So these rules were not isolated to the church. And in fact, at the same time in the Greco-Roman culture, there were some common ethical laws about how rules or how household relationships were to be run. Uh, Oikonomia, actually literally house laws. They were alive and well at this time during the Colossians. One commentator says this, he says, a good example in one of the earliest of these household rules comes from Aristotle, who divides the essential relations of the household into three. So there was master and slave, husband and wife, and father and children, stressing the natural superiority of the master over the slave and the male as husband or father over his wife and his children. So these were common rules, common rules in the pagan society. Um, but it was also common to the Jewish culture as well. And so this command for a wife to submit to her husband, it wasn't, it wasn't as strange as it is today. It was actually quite common. And for children to respect their fathers, um, this was a very serious thing in Roman culture. Um, slaves were, were also a part of the family back then, quite different than what we would want to think about today. And we're going to talk about that in, in the weeks to come. But Paul... Paul has been teaching about um, how the family lives in the middle of the culture. And it was very normal, all these rules that were coming out. But accept this rule. Accept this rule today for husbands to love their wives. You wouldn't have found that in the pagan culture. That was not a rule. The rules of society at that time was, was only towards authority, not from authority. And so what's really out of place and what's really countercultural here today is that Paul was adamantly commanding husbands to love their wives. So as normal and as natural as we think this is today, this would have been shocking that somebody would have to say this. In fact, uh, the, the command to love your wife in that day was distinctly Christian. This was a distinctly Christian virtue. And so we have to remember also, as much as the world today uh, wants to teach you that Scripture is archaic, the treatment of women in Scripture was, was, is passe, what is really true is that the gospel at this time was turning society on its head. In the gospel, in the first century church, women were being elevated. They were not being suppressed, elevated more than any other time in history. And along with that, men were being called to love and to treasure them as God would have them do so. So now, this word love, this word love that Paul is using here, this is the Greek word agapate, which is in the present tense imperative, which means it's a command from God and it must continue. It's an ongoing command. Love and keep on loving. It has an ongoing, active, pursuing tense. Husbands, keep on loving your wives. Keep on loving your wives. Now, this word love gets a little lost in our translation today. 
For example, today the, the word love can have many different meanings. But the Greek here speaks very specifically, a very specific type of love. Even in the Bible, love can, have, can, can be a translation of many different words in the Hebrew and Greek, from brotherly love, affectionate love, sexual love, friendship love. But the word that Paul is choosing is very precise and very specific. And it really blows the doors wide open on our understanding of how we are to love our wives. So guys, agape love. This type of love is is the word used most commonly for love that comes from God. Godly love. For example, in John chapter 15, verse 9 to 10, Jesus speaks of this godly love from the Father. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is a love that has a redemptive action. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this agape love, it's, it's a saving, redeeming, keeping love. Romans 8 38 to 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a keeping. It is a sealing. Is it a covenant love? And so this type of love that Paul is commanding husbands to have for their wives is a covenant love. Agape love, according to Scripture, One commentator defines it as this. It's a love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. It's a giving. It's a sacrificial love. Love that is defined perfectly by our Savior, perfectly in the blood of Jesus Christ for undeserved sinners. It is complete, it is gracious, it is free, it is merciful, it is selfless, and it is sacrificial. Paul also explains this even further in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. This is the same text, sister text, just blown open a little more for us to understand. Husbands, love your wives. But then he gives us the how. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, the type of love that God enables you to have for your wife in the gospel is a selfless, sacrificial, gracious, merciful love. It's a gospel picture kind of love. Love that seeks her best, not yours. Love that thinks of her needs as greater than yours. True love that involves dying to self and striving for the good of someone else, your wife. The same love 
God had for you when he called you out of darkness and you crucified his son on the cross. And so let me ask you this morning, more than a feeling, more than an affection, more than an attraction, more than an obligation, do you treasure your bride enough that you would crucify your life for her? Are you going out of your way to shepherd your wife's heart? Are you seeking her desires, her joy? Are you treasuring her enough to die to yourself? So what does your devotion to your wife look like today? What is your love for your wife looking like today? What does your home life look like? Far too often, we as husbands say to ourselves, we, we love our wives. We say that, and at times we love ourselves more. We want to serve our own needs over our wife's needs. You know, we work hard during the week, right? We, uh, we have to put up with all kinds of issues at work. We carry heavy loads. We have big deadlines. We have overbearing bosses. We give and give and we give, and our jobs take and take and take. By the time you get home, at the end of a hectic day or a hectic week, sometimes the last thing that we want to do is to sacrifice ourselves for our wives, to, to serve, to love. Perhaps because you think, or perhaps because you know that you are the leader in your home, in your marriage, you think that you're the one that needs to be served. This compassionate, this self-sacrificing kind of love, that's, that's not for me. That's, that's for those softer kind of guys. A true leader must lead with strength and power. But let me remind you about the ultimate husband. The greatest manly man who ever lived on this earth. Uh, remember in the book of John chapter 13, Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples Knowing that his time was at hand, it was coming to an end. Knowing that Judas was about to betray him. Knowing that his disciples, his men, needed to understand what true leadership is. The Bible tells us that Jesus rose from supper, removed his outer garment, he poured out water, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And friends, washing feet in those days that was reserved for the lowest of the low. That was for the slaves. That was for the despised. And so Jesus here was, was, this would have been shocking that he did this. The God of the universe himself was stooping down, humbling himself to the lowest position in society to show his disciples what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a man, and that is to sacrifice yourself to sacrifice your desires, to love his disciples, to serve them, this serving, sacrificial heart leadership. And so let me ask you again, are you leading and loving your wife like that? Would you say that your love is one of sacrificial service towards her? Husbands, you need to love your wife to the end of yourself. Love her at the cost of your very life. 
Love her with her best interests in your sights. Love her when it's hard to love her. Love her if she struggles to love you back. Love her in her sin. Love her without expecting anything in return. Pour yourself out for your wife. Give yourself away for her. Treasure her as Christ treasures the church. And so this agape love, this agape love has feet, it has motion, it has action, it moves, it works, it gives. It is not stagnant, it is not lazy, it is not selfish. John Piper says, Selfishness seeks its own private happiness at the expense of others. Love seeks its happiness in the happiness of the beloved. It will even suffer and die for the beloved in order that its joy might be full in the life and purity of the beloved. Jesus in the church, the beloved is the church. You represent Christ to your wife in your marriage. This kind of love is a supernaturally induced virtue, born in a supernaturally resurrected heart. This is the love that Jesus has for his bride. And this is the love that we need to strive for as husbands in the strength of the Holy Spirit. As we set our minds on the things that are above. Remember we talked about putting on those new hearts in the church within our relationships here so much more in the home. And so with that in mind, I want to give you a biblical framework for what this love ought to look like. Colossians is very limited, so we want to define this a little bit more. So here's a list of what biblical sacrificial agape love looks like. And the first thing is this sacrificial love dies daily. Sacrificial love dies daily. So we've already been talking much about sacrifice. And then Ephesians 5.25 teaches us that Christ loves the church so much that he gave himself up for her. He died for her. And, and you know what? I, know, I, I, I don't doubt that 100% of the husbands in this room would say, I would die for her. But are you dying daily for her? Are you sacrificing your life daily for her. I just read a news report about a man in China. Him and his wife got in a car accident, and, uh, and he could have got out of the car quite easily, but she was jammed in there. And uh, the car started on fire. He stayed in that car, getting his wife out of that car. And she got out, and he didn't. And he died for her. But are we willing to die for our wives daily? Are you willing to set aside your will daily, seeking the best for your wife? Sacrificial love dies daily. Number two, sacrificial love shepherds faithfully. So along with dying for the church, as Jesus rose from the grave and as he ascended into heaven, he continues to lead and guide and feed and sanctify his flock. Ephesians 5.26 says that Jesus gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church 
to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Sacrificial love shepherds faithfully. So men, are you concerned with the spiritual state of your wife? Are you the lead shepherd in your home? Are you leading her to Christ? Are you washing her with the word? Men, you are the spiritual leaders of your home. That's what God has designed in your marriage. And so are you loving your wife enough to shepherd her faithfully in God's word? Number three, sacrificial love loves oneself. Sacrificial love loves oneself. I know this sounds a little strange, to love oneself, um, to call love for your wife as love for yourself. But listen to what Ephesians 5, 28 and on says. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a lot in there. That's a loaded text. But marriage here is a picture of a one flesh covenant, a one body union led by the husband. And Paul says you don't hate your body. You feed it. You nourish it. You feed yourself. You protect yourself. Sacrificial love loves your wife, which in turn loves yourself. You're one body with her. And what, you do, what you're doing is you're proclaiming the union of Christ with his church as you love your wife. Number four, sacrificial love honors her in her weakness. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Man, your wife desperately needs you. Do you believe that? Your wife desperately needs you. She needs you to protect her, to provide for her, to bring strength to this union. God has given us specific roles in our marriages. He's also designed us very differently in our strengths and weaknesses, in our emotions and in our physicality. He's, also, he's just designed us to be so much different, and we're meant to fit together as one flesh to bring him glory. And the puzzle piece that you bring, men, to this table is one of strength. And so you are here to be strong for her. Be gentle with her. Understand her. Study her. Pray with her. Sacrificial love honors her in her weakness. Each one of these can be a very long sermon. There's much more to be said, but men understand this. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to restore husbandly love, Christ-like love that existed before the fall, love that reflects and follows the love of the perfect man, the perfect husband, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church. 
Not only can the gospel restore husbandly love, but it also does this. The gospel destroys husbandly harshness. The gospel destroys husbandly harshness. Husbands, love your wives. This is a, this is a positive command. Love your wife, and then we got a negative command. Do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. So what we see here is an extension of what Colossians had already been teaching us, this, this putting off of the old man, the putting on of the new. So the new man here in this context we're reading today is putting on love, putting on sacrificial love. And then the putting off of the old man here is destroying the harshness that remains. And this verb being translated harsh is, is more literally translated to make bitter, to make bitter or to be sour. I don't know if you've ever accidentally drunk, uh, drank vinegar, but it is horrible. Actually, we've got a really funny story as a family. Um, Kim's mom loves to visit and wash out your teapot. And so she uses vinegar to do that. And sometimes the vinegar stays in the, in the teapot and it gets fed to other people. And it is horrible. It's sour. It's, it's bitter. When it goes into your body, it wants to reject it. You have to just spit it out. The same verb is used in, in Revelations 8, verse 11, to speak of poisonous water, something the body cannot tolerate. The body would reject it. And every other occurrence in the New Testament speaks about physical sourness, physical bitterness. But in other ancient Greek writing at this time, this is also uh, described to represent heavy rulership, domineering, heavy-handed leadership. And so like a laser-guided missile, Paul goes for the man, and he gives them this negative command, Do, don't be bitter. Don't be harsh to your wife. This lands square on our chest, men. Square on the chest of the men in the Colossian church and every man that has ever existed. Every man that has lived since the fall struggles in this area. Husbands have been cursed with the propensity to be overbearing, to be bitter, to be harsh with our wives. Our original role of peace and gentleness and kindness has been turned upside down because of our sin. And we have been prone to abuse our leadership role, our divine role given by God. We are prone to abuse that, to be heavy-handed and to be harsh. Remember last week we looked at Genesis 3.16 and, and we looked at the root cause of, of why women don't readily want to submit. Right? They've been cursed with the reality that they will not want to willingly follow. Well, the same goes with the men. The same verse teaches us about the men's role here as well in Genesis 3.16. Uh, so it starts out, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. That's, that's for the wives. Right? Remember, it was an evil desire towards your husband. But for the men, it says this, but he, Adam, he shall rule over you. So the women don't want to follow and he wants to be an overbearing ruler over her. And this leadership role, this propensity towards this sin has followed us throughout all history. Our relationship as husbands to our wives has become distorted. It has become marred. It is fallen. 
This loving, sinless relationship before the fall is now damaged. And there will be ongoing conflict. And there has been ongoing conflict between men and their wives. He shall rule over her with harshness and bitterness. So this is where it all comes from. And that doesn't mean that we blame Adam. We've inherited his sin, but we continue in this, and we own 100% responsibility for that as well. So this is continued to this day. Fathers are over, or husbands are overbearing and domineering in our roles. And, uh, and I've felt this in my life. I have experienced this in my life. This summer, Kim and I are celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. And we will both agree that in our marriage, especially in the early years, we had some conflict. It wasn't easy. It was hard. And I can definitely agree, and I can confess to you this morning that, that I have at times ruled over my wife with harshness. I've been bitter. Remember when uh, we were in younger in our marriage, Kim would, Kim would say to me, it would be an argument or whatever, we'd be, we'd be talking it out after, and she would tell me that, that I have hostility in me. And I would wonder, what, the, what do you mean hostility? I really don't understand what you're saying. And then I'd get upset about that as well. But anyhow, I had hostility. This is from this root cause, this, this root desire to want to rule over my wife. And I didn't really get it. But as the gospel has worked itself out in my life, I have, I have grown to understand what this is, where it comes from, why I still do this. I would get upset sometimes when my wife would not want to follow me or do things my way. Sometimes I would just, you know, snap and, and uh, just be nasty with my words and be angry. And I would say things that would hurt. I don't know where you are with your marriage. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you deal with daily. But you need to look at the root cause. You need to look at the gospel as your way out of this. In those moments when we follow our flesh and we are angry, when we are hostile, we are following our father Adam. We are following Satan. We're living out the curse of bitterness towards our wives. We're wanting our own way. The reason I tell you this is, is, uh, is to share just some commonality with you, men. We all struggle with this. I'm growing in this. I have grown. As I look back, I see how God has grown me. I'm not perfect. There's still more growing to come. But as I look back, I see God's hand shaping me in his life and removing some of this. And he has been working it out and continues to work it out. The gospel has the power to do this. The gospel destroys husbandly harshness. And so men at large, every man who has ever existed in this world, men here this morning, young men here this morning, those who are not married yet, you need to be aware of this. You need to be ready for this. You can start working on this right now. It's a part of you. It will come out of you. Whether you act upon this or whether you feel this just in your heart at times, 
You desperately want your wife to follow you. And sometimes when she doesn't follow, you may be tempted to be harsh, to be bitter, to be sour, to be domineering over her. You will want to rule over her. Be aware of that. Run to Christ. But this, this way of harshness, this is not the way of Christ. Jesus gives you the power to overcome this problem. As Christ died on the cross for your sins, as he rose from the grave for your salvation, he destroyed the power of sin over you. You are not in bondage to sin anymore. You are free. He has already destroyed that enslavement to sin. This common sin of being bitter towards our wives. In Colossians 2, we've already, we've already looked at this. Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Man, you have victory in Jesus Christ over this sin. And so walk in it. Walk in it. Men, if you are in, in Christ, you are now free to repent of this, to turn from your sin of wanting to rule your wife with harshness. You are free to lead her now with sacrificial love. And as God calls you to not be harsh with her, do not be harsh with her. Walk with the Lord in this. He is the only way that you can actually have victory in this. You need to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. Walk in the new life. Put off the old self. Put on the new. Put off harshness. Put on the love of Christ. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel is not only entrance into the kingdom of God. You need the gospel daily. You need to die to yourself daily and walk in that resurrected life daily. We need it every day. The gospel means that every day we get the privilege and the ability to die to ourselves and to live for Christ and to live for others. Every day we get the amazing opportunity to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. To look more and more like him, the perfect husband, the bridegroom of this church. One who is so full of love, so full of peace, so full of gentleness for his bride. Christ loves his church. And he loves you. So men, love her sacrificially. Be like Christ to your wife Reflect the pure gospel on display for all to see. When he put off that old man, when he put off that harsh ruler, and he put on the love of Christ, guess what becomes easier all of a sudden? Your wife will want to follow you. 
much more readily. She will want to follow you. All of a sudden, her willingness to submit to you would become much more easier. She's submitting, yes, unto the Lord. But as you lead her in kindness and gentleness and love, she will want to follow you. She's been designed to follow you. You've been designed to lead her. But you know what's greater than this? A greater story is being proclaimed here. A greater story is on display. Um, the story now seen as you, as you love your wife is the story of the gospel. It preaches the good news to the world. It preaches the good news to your watching children, your watching friends. It tells the story of an eternal husband who loves his eternal bride. It tells the gospel of Jesus and his church. And who gets all the glory? God gets all the glory. And so the gospel restores husbandly love. The gospel destroys husbandly harshness. And the gospel resurrects your marriage. So much more can be said about this. We're going to be looking forward to an upcoming series in the next year about marriage and the family, biblical manhood, women, or biblical womanhood. Next week, we're going to talk about children and fatherhood. Interesting how that just fell on Father's Day, the Holy Spirit organizing. So run to Christ, men. Run to Christ, set your minds on him in the power of the Holy Spirit, informed by God's word. Because of the finished work of Christ in the victory that is bought by his blood, put off that old man, put on the new, put on the perfect husband who is not harsh and who loves his wife. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is full. We thank you that one, word, one verse leads us and guides us and directs us towards you and that the whole counsel of Scripture is unified and it does not contradict, and it teaches. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that all scripture is breathed out by you, that it instructs us, it guides us, it equips us. So help us as men. Help us as men to hear the truth, to apply the truth, that we would be doers of the word, not only hearers, Help us to also remember that we cannot do this on our own strength. This is not just a list to apply. It has to be applied through the lens and the sovereignty and in the power of God revealed in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, informed by God's word. And so we thank you for that. Grow us in your likeness today further for your kingdom's sake, for your glory. We love you, Lord. Amen.